We are continuing in our study of the, Apostle Creed, of the Apostles' Creed, and, and I just want to encourage you that if you were not able to listen to the first message of the Apostles' Creed series, which was last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it, because in the first 15 minutes of that message, I give an introduction to the Apostles' Creed, why we're studying the, the Apostles' Creed, why it's important, the history of it, and, and I can't take the same amount of time each message to go back over that, and so I just want to encourage you, go back. Watch the first 15 minutes. Watch the whole message if you didn't listen to it, but at least that first 15 minutes. So you get some framework as to what we're doing over, over, over the next 10, 10 or so weeks as we go through it. But in short, the Apostles' Creed is a confession that the church has made for over 1,600 years. And a creed, uh, the, the word creed comes from the root word credo, which means I believe. And, and simply what this means is the Apostles' Creed is the oldest creed, the oldest confession that, that the church has. It's over 1,600 years, somewhere between 200 to 400 A.D., this confession was, 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 put, was put together. And so what we're doing is, is we're not studying the Apostles' Creed because you don't study the Apostles' Creed like you study Scripture. We're using the Apostles' Creed as a springboard to study Scripture. So as we go through what Christians have confessed, what, what, what we confess, right, but we confess, what Christians have confessed for over 1,600 years, we're going to see where that is affirmed in Scripture. Because Scripture is our truth that we anchor our life on, that, we, that is a foundation for what we believe. So in what the church has confessed for all these centuries is what we confess because we see it in God's Word. You guys follow me? That's the short of the 15-minute version from last week. But I, I would encourage you to go back listen to the 15 minutes of the first message. So we are at kind of the, the second part of the first confession of the creed. And so last week, we looked at, we believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe in God the Father Almighty. The next section is maker or creator of heaven and earth. Creator of heaven and earth. So we're going to look at what does it mean, what does Scripture say about God as creator of heaven, and, of heaven and earth. So why don't you pray with me before we dive into that. Lord, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the privilege of studying your word as you have revealed yourself as creator to us. You are creator God. You're the creator of the heavens and, and the earth and you're the creator of, 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 of us as human beings. And, and I pray, Lord, that as we study what your word says about you as our creator, that we would come to worship you more. We come to understand your ways more. And I pray, God, that we would not just be hearers of the word but doers of it. And God, I pray that you'd help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last night, I had to put Lincoln and Reagan to bed because we're preparing to go on our trip. I'm preaching at a pastor's conference in Indiana, uh, Clarksville, on Tuesday night. But the conference starts on Monday. It's an 11-hour journey, so we're going to break it up. Uh, in half, we're going to leave as soon as I'm done preaching here, leave out and drive five hours, get a hotel and drive in on Monday morning. And so Reagan and the kids have been told that we're gone for four days, four days. And so uh, I'm putting Reagan to bed, Lincoln, and that's really a stretch to say I was putting them to bed because they were not going to sleep. Lincoln was hopping all over the place and bouncing everywhere. And, and Reagan, normally when Reagan lays down and she stops, she's out. But she just was thinking. She just was thinking and processing. And she said, so, Daddy, you're, you're, you're going to, 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 to preach for four days? I said, well, not really. Yes, I'm going to preach for one day, but I'm going to be there for four days. So I could see her little wheel spinning. And she said, so, you're going there because they need a pastor? 
And I said, no, no, no. It's, it's not because they need a pastor. It's going to be a bunch of pastors that are there. And I'm going to be preaching as a pastor to pastors to encourage these pastors, to encourage us all as pastors. And, and so then she still, she said, so for, for four days? And I could tell she's not, she's not getting this for four days. Really, the conference is only three days. But in her mind, I'm going for four days preaching to pastors. And so she finally stops. And I could tell she finally asked the question that she was really thinking. She said, did they forget what God is about? Did they forget what God is about? Didn't you say that, Reagan? Yeah. And so I had an introduction planned until last night at 9 o'clock at night when I'm laying in bed. And my introduction, Reagan changed my introduction. Did they forget what God is about? And I think that that is actually what has happened in our world and in our country and in in, in the life of our kids as they've been younger and they've grown older. What's happened and what we're seeing in our society is that people have forgotten about God and who he is. And the most central, fundamental, foundational view of who God is is revealed in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. We all know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is foundational. But we live in a world today that either does not know that or we live in a a world today of people that have been told that that's not true. That there are other ways in which this world came into existence and other ways in which we came into existence. And so I believe that our world has forgotten what God is about. I believe that our children don't know our children in in our society, our young people, our college-age students. 20-somethings, 30-somethings, they, in our world, you see the effects of a society that has pushed the view of God as creator aside. Because there are radical implications, great implications with the view, the biblical view of God as creator. It does something in our life, it does something in our world, and the trickle-down effect brings health into our lives, brings health into our families, and brings health into our society. But what do we see in our society? What do we see in our world currently? Some of you are getting tired of watching it. Some of you are really stressed out about what you're seeing. And so we are seeing up close and personal right now the effects, I believe, the effects of a society that has thrown off the view, the truth, not just the view, but the truth of God as creator. And they believe lies, and as a result of that, we're seeing the effects played out in our world. So I just have to tell you that you don't get, I, you and I do not get very far in our Bible where, until we are tested about what we believe about God's word. You can't get past Genesis 1-1 without being tested. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? You know, there are people who profess to be Christians who don't even believe that. They believe that God used evolution. They believe that, that, that Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is just, is just figurative, uh, but that God used some, some other means. But, but God doesn't show any of that in Scripture, in the biblical text. And so a lot of Christians will just put aside Genesis 1 and 2 and say, well, I believe everything after Genesis 1 and 2. So my, my, my question for people like that is, is when are you going to start believing the Bible? At what point do you check in and say, okay, I believe up, up to this point? Because the truth is, is that either Genesis 1, 1 is correct, and, what, and God told us in Genesis 1 and 2 is correct, or it's not, because if that's not correct, then, then what about the virgin birth? Do you hear that song that we sung? We, that was the Apostles' Creed put to song. What about the virgin birth? Do we, do we believe that? 
Do, do we believe in the resurrection? I mean, this is what we confess. This is what the church confesses. And, and this is the point of this series, is that we would think deeply about what we confess and see the implications of that confession, not only in our life as Christians, but in our, but in, but in our world. And there is nothing like the view of creation, the truth of creation that makes impact in our world. The implications are great. The implications are great. And so I really want to talk about four main implications of the biblical view of God as creator. And then also, as we go through those four implications, we're going to see the opposite of those implications and how those make an impact as well. So the first implication we're going to look at of in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth is, is, is this, is that every life has intrinsic value. That is one of the foundational views, foundational implications of the view of God as our creator is that every life has intrinsic value. And you know, right now in our world today, there's controversy over the words lives and over the word matters. Lives and matters. And you have some people who say you can't say that all lives matter. You can't say that black lives matter. You can't say that blue lives matter. And there's controversy over who gets to, who gets the right to the word lives and matters. You guys aren't sleepwalking, are you? You see that going on, don't you? Nobody but God gets to decide that question. Nobody but God. What did God say? Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Scripture affirms that every life is created in the image of God. So as a result of that reality, every life matters. Any time a human life is marginalized, any time a human life is discriminated against, any time a life is abused, killed, murdered, it matters. That life matters. It matters for every life because all lives have intrinsic value. Because all lives are made in the image of their creator. Whether or not they, they know that or not, their life is still valuable. All lives matter. That's just not my opinion. That's what God's word says. God's word shows that every life matters because every life is made in the image of God and it should not be a controversial subject for us to declare that. It's biblical truth. And that, that reality should be, permeate our society. But in reality, because, because God's been pushed aside as creator in our world, because God's, the, the, the truth of God as creator has been pushed aside for centuries, for centuries and centuries, then we are reaping the results of, of mankind that is living under an alternate view of origin. And so as a result, every year, every year, every decade, every century that passes, Life becomes less and less valuable in our society and in our world. It becomes more expendable. Man can only be understood from the starting point of the creator. You know, and throughout our history, everyone has been marginalized. Every nationality, every race, African Americans, Native Americans, Hispanic, Asians, every ethnicity has sinned against its own image bearers, its its fellow image bearers. Everyone is, we sin against our fellow image bearers. That's what happens in society because of the curse of sin, us being born in sin. The unborn, the elderly, women and children, sinned against. Anytime an image bearer of God suffers unjust treatment, anytime an image bearer of God is sinned against, it is, it's not just a sin against them, but it's a sin against God who made them. 
And that's the truth. That's the biblical worldview. That's what the church has confessed, that God, because God is creator, because God made the heavens and the earth, and he made every human being in his image and after his likeness, then every life matters, and every life has intrinsic value. And what does it mean that we're made in the image of God? It means that we're not like animals. As much as I love my dog, Bailey, Bailey the beagle, Bailey the beagle functions off of instinct. If I quit feeding her, she's going to go find food somewhere, right? Her reasoning ability is not at my level. She can reason, and her level of reasoning is food and shelter. But we are able, as God's supreme creations, to have reason, to have thought, to worship, the ability to worship, the, the ability to decipher between right and wrong. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. The biblical view of God is creator, though. This view that we are his supreme being and we're intrinsically valuable, it's under attack. You guys see it. It's under attack. And I believe that in our history as humanity, the single greatest attack, at least in the last century, on this, on the biblical view, is the theory of evolution. Darwin, Charles Darwin's theory of evolution is the single, from my estimation, the single greatest attack on humanity. And you can see the implications of that view throughout our American society in particular, but throughout the world. The atheistic evolutionary view of the origin of the world and the origin of you and I, it has had implications in our life, in, 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 in our world. And we're going to unpack those implications as we go along, but, but Darwin's theory stands in complete contrast to the biblical narrative. And I want to, I want to make this point. I want you to understand this. The biblical view, the biblical truth of God as creator stands in complete contrast to Darwin and his view, his theory of evolution. There are Christians out there that try to harmonize evolution and creation. Even some Christians who will say that God used evolution, he, he, he used it to, to, do, to, to make everything that we see here. But God doesn't show us that in his word. That is not what scripture shows us. And so they are completely contradictory, evolution and creation. There's no such thing as the, the science of creation. No such thing as the science of creation. Science, what is science? Science is the study, the observation of the world around us. And so, so scientists will study things, and then they will, make, they will make firm scientific declarations about something because they've studied it and they tested it. They studied it, they tested it, they studied, they tested it, and then they make declarations, scientific facts or truths because they studied and, and tested it. Nobody was there in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. There's no one that was able to observe creation. So what is creation? Creation is a miracle just like the resurrection is a miracle. We must understand this. Creation is a miracle. It takes faith to believe in the resurrection of Christ, but it also takes faith to believe in what the Bible says about how God created the heavens and the earth. What did the Bible say God did to create the heavens and the earth? He spoke it. He spoke it. He uses his words. Something out of nothing. He created something out of nothing. That's what God did. You can't rationalize that. You can't, you can't make science. You can't, you can't take the scientific method and try to push it into the Bible. It's a miracle. The Bible is a miracle from cover to cover. It's faith from cover to cover. And this is where we've gone wrong in our world. And, and, and I think in a, in a lot of Christian circles is we try to harmonize that. It can't be harmonized. It is theory, the theory of evolution and creation are completely opposite. Evolution says this. It says that everything you see, including you and me, 
are the result of a series of, 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 of mutations that took place over billions of years. That is what the, the, the theory says. It, 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 it says this, that man is the result of a series of random evolutionary mutations that took place over a period of billions of years. The longer the time, the better from an evolutionary standpoint. One single cell mutating and transforming eventually from one species to another species. That's kind of the foundation of evolution. That's what you have to have for it to actually work. One species has to turn into a whole other species at the molecular level. That has never happened. Scientists have never been able to prove that. You, you guys have studied that growing up, right? The missing link. Are they ever going to be able to find the missing link? No, because it's missing. Because it didn't happen. It will never happen. God created everything. He is the creator. He is the designer. But the implications is this, is that if you believe that, then that means ultimately nothing has worth. Nothing has value. If something just happened to be here, the trees and the sun, the moon and the stars and you and I, and we are just the result of a cosmic rolling of dice, then the implication of that is that really I I could have been here or I could not have been here. It just depends on how the mutations took place. You guys follow that with me? That means I could have just, I might not have been here had the dice not rolled the right way. That's ultimately what Darwin's theory says. But what does God's truth say? Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together. It's a creator. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully, what? Made. Made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You see the creativity. You see the work of the creator, the intricately woven together. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. You see the heart of the creator there in Psalm 139? You see that? That's a picture of forethought. That's a picture of of not just random chance and things happening because it just happened to mutate that way over the course of billions of years. No, God designed and God planned. He pre-planned every one of the days of your life before they ever took shape. Before the foundations of the world, God knew you. And he knew you, and he knew me, and he wanted to place me on planet Earth. That's creation. That's what our God has done. But what do we expect happens in a society that doesn't believe that? That's been told and forced down their throats, into their minds, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, the idea that God is not creator. What do you think will happen? Lives will be marginalized. The value of human life is going to go down. It, it, that is just, we shouldn't be shocked, right? Look at our world today. Look at our world today and how life is not valued. You can just take one, one issue of abortion. It is, it is the mark on our society. Abortion is the blight on our society. The number one, number one. Because image bearers of God are murdered to the tune of 1.5 million every year in our country. Murdered. Image bearers of God. Lives destroyed. 
But then that's also played out in so many different ways we see happening in our world today. People are persecuted because of their race. Police officers are ambushed. You guys saw that in California? Politicians use their power to control the lives of people. People are marginalized. Women and children become objects of pleasure. This is what happens whenever the view of God is creator and that we're all made infinitely valuable. Men and women and, and women and children are, are, are abused for the pleasure of other people. And then ultimately the life of the unborn are discarded without hesitation. I'm going to tell you a story and illustration to illustrate this point. There's a new story I heard studying for this week. There's a people group from Turkey that has migrated to China. And this people group, they're in the tens of thousands of people that are currently in China. And as a result of that, you know, the Chinese government, they're a communist government, and they want to control the population. And so they have taken doctors and some of these people's own doctors, to try to control their population. And this is a a story uh, from a a woman who's a doctor, and this is what she says. She participated in 500 to 600 operations that included abortions and and removing women's wombs. The doctor said her actions, which included killing infants right after they were born, were part of how the Chinese government is conducting a a genocide. The doctor said she had participated in killing full-term babies, as well as children who were newly born. She remembers at least one situation when a baby was still moving when it was thrown away. The clear intention, she says, was ethnic cleansing. She said, we were asked to believe this was part of the Communist Party's population control plan. At the time, I thought it was just my job. I felt sorry, though, to see the killing of small, of small babies, but I never fully realized the damage I was doing. Now I feel such regret. That is possible in a society that has abandoned God. Whether it's America, China, whatever, wherever people are, when they abandon God, they abandon the view of God as creator, the truth of God as creator, then life becomes expendable. And you can just throw them away. And I I know you you may think, well, you're, you're overstating this. No, I'm not overstating it. That's the reality. And it's playing out before our eyes. Ideas have consequences. The late Rabbi Zacharias says this about this subject. He says, being made in the image of God, the Judeo-Christian worldview is the only worldview that holds to that, being made in the image of God. The Muslim would consider that blasphemous. The Hindu would not accept that worldview because a caste system is intrinsic to his or her faith, where every birth is a rebirth and karma that was embodied in a previous birth is now embodied in yours. Buddhism is a variant of, of that, but the same idea. When you and I are told that we are made in the image of God, the implication is obvious. We are created with essential worth. And only the Judeo-Christian worldview has that view. Only one. And that's where it comes from. So what do we do as Christians? We confess that we believe what the church has confessed for over 2,000 years, that God is the creator. The creator of the sun, the moon, the stars is the creator of every human life. And because of that reality, every life has intrinsic value and infinite worth. Amen? You confess that with me today? Amen. Well, what's the implication of that? What's the next implication? It flows right, right out of it. The, the next one is this, is that every life has a unique purpose. So if we are the result of a cosmic accident, 
and we, we don't even know if we would have been here or could have been here or how it would have happened, then we really have no purpose. There's no purpose. But because we know that God is the creator of you and I, then that means every life has a unique purpose. If you take away man's intrinsic value, you reduce him down to a series of, of, of random mutations, and the obvious implication is that no one has a unique purpose. There's no unique purpose that, God is, that, that, that you're here for. The, the, the psychologist uh, Abraham Maslow, you guys ever heard of Abraham Maslow? He's the one who created the idea of the high, high, hierarchy of needs. It's often taught in colleges, so our students go and they'll, they'll hear this. And, and here's what they're taught. They're taught that, and this is from a foundation of an atheistic evolutionary foundation, that, that man, man is the result of, of evolution and a cosmic accident. And, and so that the purpose of man's life, what their purpose is, what, what, what they are, what they are uh, I'll keep wanting to say created for, but that's not the view. What they, are, uh, what they were mutated for <laughs> was, was to be the best you that you can be. To look inward for purpose, not outward. I want you to look at his chart. If you're in college, you, you may have seen this. And he kind of puts it as a pyramid and, and the pinnacle, the top, being what's most important. So here's how it flows. The physiological needs are food and rest, sleep, because you need that. If you don't eat and sleep, you're going to die. Safety, you have house and you, have, you exercise, physical safety, money brings you safety. Love and belonging, mankind needs love and belonging. Self-esteem, right? That's very high on this view here that we need self-esteem. But the, the top purpose of man is self-actualization. And what that means is, is that for you to really, in this worldview, for you to really reach your potential, to reach your purpose, you have to look inward on the inside of yourself to figure out who you really are. What are your desires? What are your dreams? What do you want to do? And what happens is, is that you look inward and you are ignoring the fact that you were created and you were made. And so the purpose of life becomes all about you and what you want, what you desire. Albert Muller Jr. says about that subject, as he says, in the beginning God if we truly grasp this opening phrase of Scripture, the rest of our theological conviction will fall rightly into place. If we fail to truly understand these opening words, we may find ourselves on the quick road to idolatry. Do you follow that? When we, when we push ourselves away and we reject the, the, the truth of God as our creator, that we have intrinsic value, then what happens is, is that we buy into the idea of Abraham Maslow and men and women like him, that life's all about you. It's about the stuff that you can accumulate. It's about the things that you can do. It's about the power that you can reach to and, and, and reach for. It's about you. Do you guys see that today with, with me or am I the only one seeing it? That's our world. And I, don't, I want us to understand that it's because of this. It's because society and the world has rejected the biblical truth of God as creator. It is the implication. But the, imp, the positive implication is that all of us who are made in the image of God, everyone made in the image of God, has a unique purpose because that purpose is connected to the creator. Not inward. Not inward. My, 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 my purpose is not found here. It's found when I look outside of myself. It's kind of like this. You ever had one of those old school watches? Not the one, not like a Timex or, or a Rolex, like a traditional type watch, but I'm talking an old school that you open up and you put it in your pocket, you, you, you open it up, and you can look inside and see all the intricate details. Have you seen one of those watches? Now, when you look at that, when you open up a watch, you look at the intricate details of the inside of a watch. Do any of you ever think, 
man, that just happened like that. It just randomly came together. It, it mutated all of a sudden, and all these details came together, and it made the, the watch work. Has anybody ever thought that? No, you'd be a fool. That's what the Bible says in the book of Psalms. Only a fool says in his heart there is no God. Right? That's foolish to think you look at something that is so detailed and designed, took time to design, and look at it and go, eh, it probably just popped together one day randomly over billions of years. No, 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 nobody thinks that. But what do you also think when you look at that watch? You think the creator had a purpose for that watch. It flows hand in hand. If it was intricately created by someone, then that means it is designed for something. You guys follow me? That's why it's so important we believe correctly about our origin because then we can know what our purpose is. So what is a watch there for? It's there to make sure you're on time at your wedding. It's there to make sure you're on time at school and work, right? It helps us make sense of the world through time, right? It has a unique purpose. The same is true for us. Look at Genesis 1.28, when God created Adam and Eve, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful. What did God give them? He gave them purpose after he created them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have lots of babies, subdue the earth, have dominion over the fish of the sea, all you fishermen. Have you been having dominion lately over the fish of the sea? Have you been catching some? You're called to have dominion. Fish of the sea, the birds of the air. In the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, hunting season is coming. Are you going to have dominion over those deer, men? Right? God gives us purpose. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Our creation is connected with our purpose. Because God took the time to create us, he's designed us for a unique purpose. Our purpose in this life is inseparably connected with our creator. When human beings live outside of a biblical worldview of God as creator, they disconnect themselves from understanding the unique purposes that God has created for them. And there's people here today, there there may be somebody here today, you think your life is an accident. You think, I I have no idea why I'm here. I don't know why God, I I don't know why, yeah, I believe God may be, but I just don't know why I'm here. I feel like I'm useless, have no purpose. I'm here to tell you, when you understand the biblical view of God as your creator, just that knowledge alone is enough evidence that you need to have to tell you that you, are, that, you, that you are valuable, infinitely valuable, and that you have a purpose. You are not here by accident. There are no accidents here in this room. God designed you to be here. And if you feel like that, that, you, that you don't belong and you don't, and you don't have a place, I'm telling you, if you will connect to the heart of your creator and not quit looking inward for your purpose and say, God, I know you made me. And God, I'm asking you, As the creator, what you made me for. If you take that watch, listen, if you take that watch and you're trying to figure out how it works, are you going to go to somebody who didn't make it to figure it out? No. You're going to go to the watchmaker and just say, okay, how does it tick? How does it talk? How does it wind and twist, right? Because who made it? The watchmaker did. You guys follow me? Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship just like that watch, created, not mutated, but created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared. What? I love that. He prepared the good works for me when? Long before I was born, long before my life ever took shape, long beforehand that we should walk in them. That's our God. We have infinite value, intrinsic worth, intrinsic value and infinite worth, and we're made for a purpose. Those are two powerful implications of God as creator. 
the next one flows right into it. The, the next one is this, is that every life is accountable to the creator. So we're made by him, designed by him for a purpose. But if God is our creator, then that means he is in charge. That means he's the boss. He's the boss. He gets to make the rules. We don't make the rules. In an atheistic, evolutionary worldview, who gets to make the rules? If there is no God and he's, there's no creator, then if I'm looking inward for my purpose, well, then I'm going to make my own rules. I'm going to decide what is right and wrong. Mankind gets to determine what is right and wrong. Do you see that today? Look around today. Good being called evil and evil being called good. Speaking of that ambush of those, of those police officers, I don't know if many of you saw it, but on social media, it made the news. There were people laughing and cursing the officers and wishing their death. Good, evil, and evil, good, celebration of evil. Now, I, I know you think, Pastor Ben, you're just going over the top here. No, I'm not. This is the reality of our world. This is what happens when you disconnect yourself from the biblical truth of God as creator. That man devolves down into the depth of depravity. And then in a modern age, we get to watch it on TV. It's sad. Romans 1 says this, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over or up to a debased mind to do what, is, what ought not to be done. What does that mean when it says to do what ought not to be done? It means that there is an ought to do. It means that there is a right and a wrong. But people say, I don't want to do the right and the wrong. I don't believe there is a God. I don't believe I'm accountable to anybody. So I want to do what I want to do. And what do they do? They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. What does that mean there? Though they know God's righteous decree. What is that? How do we, you and I, know God's righteous decree? Scripture tells us that God has written on the heart of every man a revelation of good and evil. That's called our conscience. God's given us a conscience. He's given us a conscience. God's placed in every person an inward witness to his standards of morality. But whenever you disconnect yourself from God as creator and you reject his ultimate standard, then you can do whatever you think is right. And so now your conscience is not informed correctly. It's not informed by biblical truth. So now you have a new morality. You live however you want to live. And that's Romans chapter 1, and we see it today. It's kind of like this. There was an airplane in 1984. It was an avionic airlines jet. It was coming from Spain back to Spain. It was Hispanic, Spanish uh, pilots and passengers going back to Spain. This is 1984. You can look it up. It's a true story. They're flying, and, and as they're flying, the pilot is paying attention to his, all his gauges and everything. And one, one of the, 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 the gauges, it's called the automatic warning system, begin to repeat the phrase, pull up, pull up, pull up. And, and he kept saying it every two or three minutes, pull up, pull up, pull up. And finally he got annoyed by it and he hit the off switch and he said, shut up, gringo. And he shut it off. And less than two minutes after he shut it off, the plane slammed into a side of a mountain and killed everyone on board. And so then when, when they recovered the black box, they went in and they looked at 
all the data. And what happened? The pilot ignored the inward witness. That's the conscience. Mankind ignores the inward witness. Shut up. Shut up. I don't want to hear that. Shut up. I don't want to, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to listen to you tell me what I need to do. There is no God. I'm the result of an accident. We're all random chance. Kesarasara, YOLO, live for the moment. You only live once. I'm, I'm the maker of my own destiny. I get to determine what's right and wrong. Shut up. I don't want to hear it. That's what mankind does to the conscience. And it's rooted back to our view of who God is. Back to what Reagan said. Did they forget who God is? Did they forget? I think, they for, I think people have forgotten, but some of them don't even know. Do not ignore the automatic warning system that God's placed in your heart. So let's follow the logic. If man is a result of random chance and therefore has no intrinsic value and purpose, and if man can only look inward for meaning and truth and morality, then the, the inevitable result is that man becomes a God unto himself and determines for himself what is moral. That's the inevitable result. So who in society gets to be the ones who determine what is moral and what's not? If God is not, and we're not looking to the Bible, if we reject that, who gets to determine what's right? The powerful people. Might, have you heard this phrase? Might makes right. Power, strength makes right. Gets to determine what is right and wrong. Those who have influence and power. Have you ever heard of social media influencers? Have you heard that term? There's people on TikTok and Instagram and, and YouTube, and they're called influencers because they have millions and millions of people who follow their social media accounts. And they are the ones, I'm telling you right now, if you don't know this, you don't see this, they are the ones who are setting in place for our kids and for our society what is right and wrong because they have power, influence, and a voice. And people aren't looking right here to God's word. They've already rejected the ultimate truth of God as creator. And so now influencers, might, power, determines right. You disconnect yourself from a view of God as creator, and this is the direction you go. These are the implications in a society. But God's law is good. His ways are good. Here's three uses of of the law of God as revealed in Scripture. The first one is to awaken the sinner to his sin and judgment. That's what the law of God does. When you're confronted with the reality of God as creator and God as judge, then you're awakened to your sin and your need for forgiveness. Secondly, it's to become the standard for the believer's sanctification. God's word, his laws, become the standard for which we look at and say, God, make me more like Christ as I read your word and I know your word. Another purpose for the law of God is to restrain sin in society. To restrain sin in society. In our country, our country and our history has been connected to a Judeo-Christian worldview of God as true, God as creator, and his word as law. But we are far from that right now, and we see the effects of that. When you disconnect yourself from God's law, sin is not restrained in society, and that's why you see lawlessness in the streets. That's why you see the anarchists. That's why you see the rioting and the, the destruction of property, because people have thrown off restraint. And they said that there is no purpose in life. Everything is futile and meaningless. And they attach themselves to purposes and causes. They're, They're looking for, listen, this is so important. They're looking for something outside of themselves to find meaning and purpose. But they're disconnected from the only thing outside of themselves that can bring the meaning and purpose, which is God. And as a result, our society is spiraling out of control. You see it. We see it. 
I'm not going to read all of Romans 13. I'm not going to read Romans 13. But Romans 13 is the basis of God's law restraining society. It says in Romans 13 that we should all be submitted to the governing authorities. And it ultimately says in Romans 13, it says that God uses the authorities in the world to punish those who are evil and to reward those who are good. That's God's law in society. That's how it works. That's how it should work. But we've abandoned God as our creator. But we confess. And that's why it's so important what what we confess. We are the shining light on the hill. We are a beacon in the middle of this culture. We must confess what the scripture says. It is so important today. J.C. Ryle says this. He's a theologian from England. He says this. He's since passed away. He says, one thing I am sure. The state that sows the seed of national neglect of God's law or sooner or later reap a harvest of national disaster and ruin. It's true. As long as God's law, as revealed in Scripture, is allowed to have impact in a society, sin will be restrained. But when man throws off the law of God, a society destroys itself from within. So where does that put us? You're thinking, Pastor Ben, man, you're not giving me any hope here. (laughs) This is a downer message. But it's true, I, I wanted, my job is to help us frame where we are. And this is where we are. This is why we are where we are. Because we've connect, disconnected ourselves from God's truth as revealed in Scripture. And this specific point of creation and creator. So I just want to confess these things. There is no God except the God of the Bible. Who has revealed himself as the maker of heaven and earth. There is no true morality except what is revealed from our creator in his word. There is no true worship except to worship God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no way to relationship with God, the Father, except through faith in Christ. And there is no national blessing for our country apart from Christ. Period. That's it. So, where's the hope? Where do we end? When we end with the last implication of God as our creator, we have intrinsic value, infinite worth. We have a unique purpose. We have a standard for morality that guides our everyday life. And we do all of that on the foundation of that every life is created to give God glory. And that's where the hope is. Is that in our life as believers in Jesus Christ, as people who understand where we come from, and we see God's purpose in our life, we understand his morality is revealed in scripture, we are designed to give God glory. Amen? Look at Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were what? Mutated? Created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and what? For him. You are made for God. You're made by God and you're made for God. Amen? That's your ultimate purpose in life. If you are looking for God's purpose in your life and you're looking outside of yourself to him, you know the end of the road that you'll you'll end up at, the, end of, the, the conclusion that you'll end up with is that the purpose that is outside of you, found in God, is to glorify his name. That's the ultimate purpose in life, is that his creations would glorify the creator. What happens with that watch from the watchmaker? I, I for Christmas, take, I go to that watchmaker and I buy a watch and, and, and I bring it to you. And I say, Merry Christmas. And you open up that package and you look at that watch and what do you do? You praise 
the Creator. You say, wow, that is an amazing watch. When you say that is an amazing watch, are you praising me? No, because I didn't make it. You're praising the watch maker. Now, you're thanking me because I spent my money on it, but I didn't make the watch. When you praise what has been created, the praise goes to, to God. And that's our job in the midst of this chaotic world, in the midst of this world that has thrown off restraints. They've created their own morality. They don't want to hear God as creator because they know that means God as lawgiver. They don't want to hear those two truths. So what do we do? How do we live? We live as shining lights of the truth of the gospel, of what the God of the Bible can do in the life of a person who's fully submitted to Christ. That's what we do. That's how we live our life. When we get our doctrine and worldview correct, when it aligns with biblical truth, then we're able to find that our truest purpose is to bring God glory. Psalm 115.1 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory it's not about me it's about you god because you made me we live in a time in our world that we can't afford to passively approach our understanding of the bible and what god's revealed to us i want you to catch this this is so important i'm about to close we live in a time in our world that you and i cannot afford to passively approach what we do here on sundays and what you do in your quiet time in the Word. We can't just passively approach it and say, it really, it really doesn't matter what we teach or what we believe. It's not time. Today is not the day for self-help, easy, good, feel-good messages. That's not what this world needs. The world needs answers. It needs truth. The world is looking for truth. And the church needs truth so that we can be equipped to give the world truth. That's what we need. That's why we study theology and doctrine because it is important because it matters. The issues in our world today are too serious to take a different approach. We're not, we're, we're not here just to, just to help you to have a happy life from birth to heaven. We're here to equip you with biblical truth so that you can make an impact for the glory of God. Amen? So you can make an impact for the glory of God. And the only way you'll make an impact for the glory of God is if you live above the fray, is if you live above the realm of this world and you live with a a view of God and eternity. You know, if, if you listen to what's going on, you have the Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Her death has caused people to freak out and you got President Trump saying that he's going to nominate someone right away. And you have, on the other, you have on the other side, you have people tweeting they're going to burn everything down. Burn it down if he nominates somebody. Burn it down if he does his job. We live in a crazy world right now. Is it going to burn? <laughs> I don't know. It's been burning in a lot of other cities. We live in a crazy world. And in the middle of that crazy world, our only anchor for for how to get through this is God's word. Can you imagine living in the world like we have today? I was listening to the news and Obama came out and made a statement because they're all pressuring, trying to pressure Trump not to nominate somebody. And Trump and, and Obama said that if Trump makes this decision that our democracy is on the brink. That's what he said. Now, is, is he right? Potentially. I don't know what's going to happen. So can you think about that world that we live in right now? If, if all of your hope 
And all of your life is centered around political things. Centered around all of that. Where are you going to find hope? You've disconnected yourself from the eternal truth of God as your creator and his law as your guide. Where are you finding answers? If you can't find it here in the church, then where's the hope? So we are the hope of the, of the earth in as much as we preach Christ. So I have some questions for you as we close. Do you think it matters what we believe about our origin? Does it matter what we believe about the doctrine of creation? Does it matter what we teach our children about who they are and where they came from? Does right biblical worldview and doctrine matter? It does. Do you believe that? I hope I convinced you today. (laughs) Do you stand to your feet? Amen. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have revealed to us in Scripture. That you are our creator, that we aren't the result of a cosmic accident and billions of years worth of of mutations. That we are the result of a God who saw us long before we were in our mother's womb and knit us together and gave us a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify your name. And God, I pray that we would do that in the midst of this world gone mad. I pray that we would shine as lights of hope in the middle of this world, that we would not get off message, which is the gospel of Christ. Thank you for this church, God. Strengthen us during these days to have courage. God, we need your courage. We need to be courageous. Help us to be, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I love you. I'll see you next week.